So have you guys ever heard of something called the genetic fallacy? The genetic fallacy? Sometimes known as the fallacy of origins. Some of you are like, what is a fallacy? Uh, it's like, uh, we should explain that first. Uh, back to a little, little classroom education here. A fallacy is like an error in reasoning. So you come to the wrong uh, conclusion based on kind of faulty reasoning. So like a classic example would be to say, well, dogs have four legs and my cat has four legs. Therefore, my cat is a dog, okay? Dogs have four legs and cats have four legs are both true statements, but my reasoning for my conclusion was wrong. So that, that, that's a fallacy. Um, a genetic fallacy is one that uh, discounts the reliability of the information based on the source rather than the merits of the information. And so it, it, it takes something and says, I, you know, that's, I don't believe that. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's helpful. I don't think that's accurate. Not based on whether it actually is, but based on the source of where it came from. And this is just like permeating our culture right now, where it's just whether it comes to politics or cultural issues or social media stuff, it's just like I just write off entire sections of things, entire sections of people just because they fit into a, a source category that I don't like. And so probably the most uh, direct example I could say is it would be like if I were to say this morning, hey, you know, uh, I read this report or I saw this piece of information. There was a study that was done, um, you know, and, and I heard it or I saw it or I, I listened to it. I read it somewhere. If I were to tell you that that report, that I read it or I saw it on CNN or in the New York Times, at least half of you would probably be like, I don't trust it because it's liberal propaganda. But if I were to say, you know, that same report, actually I heard it or I read it or I saw it on Fox News or the Daily Wire, the other half you'd go, I don't believe it, it's not accurate because it's conservative propaganda. It's when we write off a piece of information before we ever even really look at it critically because of the source of the information. And, and whenever we do that, taking information, and specifically what we're going to kind of talk about today, is whenever we do that with advice, when we write off advice based off of, you know, who's offering it rather than is what they're saying actually true, that leads us down a path pretty quickly of easily becoming our own worst enemy. We're in part three of this series, how not to be your own worst enemy. How do we not blow up our lives and become our own worst enemy with our, um, you know, our, our families, our relationships, our careers, our finances, just our character, our health. Like how do we not just completely blow up our lives? Um, and this is the, the third and final part of the series. So we're wrapping this thing up today. Uh, you know, we all have the potential for this to happen because here's what I know about you, every one of you and I know about myself as well. <laughs> we've all participated in all of our worst decisions, right? It's like, yeah, I was there for it. And I, I, in fact, it was probably my idea. I know most of the bad decisions in my life, no one was twisting my arm into doing them. I was just like, this seems good. This seems wise. This seems like a good idea. Um, and as we've kind of been saying, that one bad decision is, is always like the first step in maybe a series of bad decisions. It, it's the first part in a habit that develops, a pattern that develops where months or even years down the road, a half a lifetime later, I'm like, how did I end up here? How does my life look like this? And so we're talking about how do we not do that? What are some preemptive measures that we can take? Um, and, and maybe if you're new here with us, or maybe you've even been here for a while, and you're wondering, why are we talking about that in church? Because that doesn't seem like uber spiritual or like deep or like theological. Um, and I get that, but one of the things that, that we hold near and dear as a church, because we think Jesus teaches and models this, is that faith is supposed to be practical. Like it's not just theory, it's not just belief, but, but faith, specifically the Christian faith, it's one of the things that makes it so unique is it's practical, it's daily, it's lived out. That, that if I'm a follower of Jesus and my faith in Jesus isn't actually changing how I live day to day, I'm probably doing it wrong. 
that, that it impacts how we live. And so we're talking about that. Like Jesus told this really famous story uh, at one point after his most famous teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, he gives this parable. He says, listen, anyone who hears my words, who, who listens to my teaching, who sees my way of life and puts it into practice, who actually does this stuff. That person's wise. They're building their, their life on a solid foundation. But if you just hear it and you don't do anything with it, so that person's a fool. And eventually when the storms of life come, it all comes crashing down. And so faith is practical. It's lived out. The other reason we're talking about it uh, is that if, if you're a follower of Jesus, your life, my life, it's not just about you. Like, like if we're Christians, it's like, hey, my life's not only about me. It's about the people around me as well. And when it comes to being my own worst enemy, whenever I hurt me, inevitably, I end up hurting the people that are closest to me as well. Like that when my life kind of blows up in any area, there's some collateral damage that happens to the people that I love and the people that, that, that I care about. And so and as, as Jesus followers, we're kind of responsible for the way that our behavior impacts other people. If I'm doing something that's hurting someone else, it's like, man, that, that, i got to pump the brakes and say, what's, what's going on there? Uh, like we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that the people around us see the source of life that's in us and they go, what is that? Like, like you've got some joy or some peace. There's patience in your life. There's, there's a so- source of love in your life. Like there's something different about you. I'm drawn to that. What is that that you have that I don't? And, and so doing anything that becomes, causes us to become our own worst enemy or kind of blow up our lives, uh, it doesn't only undermine our own life and our own faith, but it has the potential to undermine the life and the faith of the people around us as well. So in the series, we're talking about, hey, how do we not do that? What are some really practical things, some steps that we can take? We've been looking at a habit every single week. Just a quick recap. The first week we said the first habit to learn is to pay attention to the tension. That, that anytime there's like a decision you're making or a path you're going down or a habit that's kind of formed, a, a choice, a relationship, a career thing, a money thing, doesn't matter what it is, but anytime there's that thing that kind of rises up in you that's like, yeah, don't know if you should do this, don't know if that's a good idea, you know that little voice that comes in your head and you're like, shut up, I want to do it anyway, you know what I'm saying? And it's, it's like your conscience or, or you know, it, like if you're a follower of Jesus, we would say that's probably like God's spirit, like kind of saying, hey, hey, pay attention, that we need to stop and say, what is that? Because that might be the voice of our Heavenly Father who loves us going, I don't want to see you hurt. Maybe you should consider a change in direction. So pay attention to the tension. Last week we heard about this, to pay attention to your narratives. All of us have stories that we live out of, stories that shape how we think and the decisions we make that become the filters for how we see the world. And those, those stories are developed by where we grew up, how we grew up, our family of origin, our, our faith experience growing up, our uh, I mean, our, our, our educational background, all kinds of things affect our stories. And the point wasn't, hey, some stories are good, some stories are bad. We weren't talking about that, but just to be aware that you and I have stories that we're living out of. To just to know, it's like, wait a minute, I've got a story, you've got a story. And we need to pay attention to the narratives that we tell ourselves. And, and, and the call of Jesus on your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to ultimately come under his story. That there's a new story, and it's his story, of what he's doing in the world, what he's done in my life, and what he's inviting me into. As we wrap this up today, the final thing to pay attention to is this right here, to pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. Pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. And it is Mother's Day, and for those of you who are moms, like this is something that, that you want for your kids. You're like, yes, I want my children to have wise voices in their life that can speak life and wisdom into them. And for, for, for those of you who are moms, so, so many of you, you are that to your kids, even though they don't listen, right? Like, you, they're like, I'm trying to give you wisdom. And they're like, nah, we don't care. And that's actually going to tie in later. So there's that. Um, but he, here's the reality, and this is true for me, and, I, and it's probably true for you as well, that most of the time when we did something in our lives that caused us to become our own worst enemy, that we look back on later down the road and we regret it, we're like, oh, I wish I hadn't. Why did I do that? Most of the time, at the very beginning, 
there was someone who was warning us. There was someone who was like, hey, you know, I love you, I care about you, I see the direction that you're going, and I don't know if this is a good idea. There was someone who, you know, they, they had a kind of unbiased opinion because it wasn't emotional for them, for us when we're doing things, it's always so emotional, and someone on the outside was like, hey, listen, I see what's going on here, and maybe you should reconsider. And we said, nah, what do you know? What do you know? They warned us, and, and we, we didn't listen. And looking back, we go, man, I wish I would have listened. Someone saw what, what I couldn't see. So paying attention to the voices of wisdom around you, it is, it is a huge thing. And listen, um, this is a great habit to know. And if you're a follower of Jesus, let me just kind of push on this a little bit. This isn't really optional. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, you are kind of called to this kind of a life, to where you do life and faith with other people other people of faith, other followers of Jesus who, who come alongside and, and who encourage you and who call you out on things and who love you and who speak wisdom and life into you and call you to what God is calling you to, that, 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 that reminder. The, the, the picture of the church and, and following Jesus in the New Testament, there is never a picture of like a Lone Ranger Christian that just says, I believe the right things and I'm doing this by myself. It's always, no, we are moving in a direction together. So if you're a call, follower of Jesus, like this is the kind of... Uh, environment that you're called to, to step into, community life, a life and a faith um, in a community. And even if you're not, like if you're like, I don't know where I believe or where I'm at with God, that's just, this is just good advice because there are people who can see things in a different way that have a different perspective to offer. And so today I want to look at a passage um, in, in the Bible. Uh, it's going to be in uh, what we call the Old Testament, but it's the Hebrew scriptures or the Jewish scriptures. It's the, the part of our Bibles that actually bring us like the backstory to the Jesus story. Um, and, and it is going to highlight this idea, the power of listening to voices of wisdom and the pain that is often associated when we don't. And so this uh, particular account revolves around Israel's fourth king. So there's four, four kings that to kind of start off the history of ancient Israel. First, their first king was King Saul. If you were here with the, us for the first week of the series, we talked about him a little bit. He, he, got, he went a little crazy. He got very like paranoid and, and jealous and he tries to kill David. So Saul is the first king. David becomes the second king. A after David dies, his son Solomon becomes the third king of Israel. And during the time of David and Solomon, it's like the high point of Israel's story uh, in terms of like on a world stage, political power, economic, like thriving, all those things. So we go from Saul to David to Solomon. And the assumption is that the next king, the fourth king, would be Solomon's son Rehoboam. So that's a, that's a name to kind of tuck away because we're talking about him a lot, Rehoboam. And it would seem like he's the natural person to, to step in, like he's, he's Solomon's son, is next in the line of kings, but it wasn't a smooth transition. Something happened. Because there was another uh, character in this account that I need to introduce, and his name was Jeroboam. I know, they rhyme and it's confusing. So Rehoboam and Jeroboam, those are the two guys we're talking about. Um, and Jeroboam we are introduced to in 1 Kings chapter 11. So here's a little bit of his story to give us some context of who we're talking about. Jeroboam was a man of standing. And when Solomon, who was still the king, when Solomon saw how well the young man, Jeroboam, did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. And so King Solomon sees this guy, Jeroboam, and he's a young up-and-comer. Like, he, he's got leadership qualities. He gets things done. He's like, man, this guy is a guy that I can trust. He's a guy that people follow. And so I'm not just going to give him a task to do, but I'm going to give him some authority. I'm going to give him some responsibility. He's going to be over this huge labor force. Um, Solomon, like, during his reign, he was a builder. 
like just expanding kind of Israel in terms of like its wealth and its economic uh, status and just building massive structures. Solomon built like this huge elaborate temple, this huge elaborate palace. And so he has this huge labor force. He's like, okay, Jeroboam, I'm going to put you in charge of that. And at the same time, as Jeroboam uh, was going out of Jerusalem, and Ahijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. So Jeroboam's leaving the city of Jerusalem, and he bumps into this prophet who's got a new cloak on. And the two of them were alone in the country. And Ahijah took a hold of the new cloak that he was wearing, and he tore it into 12 pieces. And so, he, you know, it's, Old Testament prophets, they're dramatic about everything. And so he's just like, they're just walking along. <laughs> this is a funny scene, I think. He was walking along, and he's like, what's up? <laughs> and he just like rips it into pieces. I'd be like... Okay, I would probably be running in the other direction if somebody did that on the road, but apparently this was just normal. Uh, and so he tears the, the cloak into 12 pieces that were going to represent the nation of Israel and the, and the different tribes. And he said to Jeroboam, take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand, and I'm going to give you 10 tribes. So it says, Jeroboam, this is what God says. You get 10 tribes. I'm, t- I'm, I'm dividing this kingdom. I'm tearing it apart. You're going to get 10 of the tribes of Israel. And the reason why is because King Solomon had embraced a whole bunch of different gods um, through, through his many, many wives. Solomon had like 700 wives. That was never something that was good. That was never something that was commanded. In fact, it, Solomon ends up being a king, and Israel ends up being a kingdom that looked just like all the other kings and all the other kingdoms. Uh, and they were supposed to be set apart. They were supposed to look different. But Solomon collects power and wealth and builds this massive army and has all these horses and chariots and all the things he's not supposed to have because they were supposed to be different. And he has all these wives that were, they were meant to ha- be a political alliance. So you would, he would marry the, the, the wife of like a foreign king and that was a way of saying we're friends now, okay? Like our countries, we're not going to fight, we're friends. And these foreign wives had foreign gods that they worshipped. And so Solomon brought them in, and so he starts building temples and altars to all of these gods as well. And eventually, he starts worshiping all these other gods. And and so this leads to Israel's downfall. And so he's like, okay, I'm taking the kingdom out of your hand. I kind of warned you that this would happen. You weren't supposed to go down this path. You went down this path anyway. But I'm going to give Jeroboam ten of these tribes. However, for the sake of my servant David, the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. And so God had made a promise to, this would have been um, Rehoboam's grandpa, David, okay, so David, Solomon, Rehoboam, um, that, that, that through David's line, the redeemer, the promised one, the deliverer would come, and that, that he would set up and establish like an eternal kingdom for David. And so he says, I'm not going to break that promise. God says, I'm sticking to that promise, because that would be the way that he would bring redemption and hope and restoration and healing to the entire world that would eventually become fulfilled through the person of Jesus. So God says, I've not given up on the rescue plan for humanity, but it's just going to get really, really messy now. David's going to have, David's line will have one tribe. This, this kingdom is going to be divided. And so Jeroboam gets this news of like, hey, you know, you're going you're gonna to get this large portion of the kingdom and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be yours. And so he starts to talk about that. And Solomon gets word that that's going on. And predictably, Solomon tries to kill Jeroboam. But Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak, the king, and stayed there until Solomon's death. And so Jeroboam, like, Solomon here is like, oh, you're, you're going to be a threat to my reign. You're going to be a threat to my son's reign after me. I'll just try to kill you. Um, Jeroboam gets wind of this and runs. And that sets us up for what is going to happen next. The transfer of power that gets really, really messy and the advice that Rehoboam does not listen to. So this is found in the very next chapter that Rehoboam 
went to Shechem. For all of Israel had gone there to make him king. So Solomon has died. Rehoboam is next in line. They go to this place called Shechem for him to kind of like have this big celebration because it's coronation day. For those of you who have little kids, you will know exactly what I meant when I talked about that. Little frozen shout out. It's coronation day. Uh, Rehoboam went to Shechem for all of Israel had gone there to make him king. And when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard this, because he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon, he returned from Egypt. So Jeroboam hears, okay, Solomon's dead. It's safe for me to go back home now. And now the scene is set. Rehoboam is going to be king. Uh, Jeroboam is coming back. And they sent for Jeroboam. And he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, your father put a heavy yoke on us, talking about Solomon. But now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke that he put on us, and we will serve you. And so they're, they're telling Rehoboam, listen, like your dad, like Solomon was harsh, like he worked us all the time. We're always building all this stuff, and he's taxing us to pay for the building of all this stuff. If you will just lighten the load a little bit, if you'll be good to us, if you'll treat us right, you won't have to force us, you won't have to threaten us, we will serve you willingly. We will be loyal to you, and we will follow your leadership. So lighten our load. And Rehoboam answers them. He says, go away from me for three days, and then come back to me. That's actually a really, really smart thing, right? Like, I mean, this is not going to be a happy ending to this story, but even when things go wrong, there's still good things you can learn. Like, if, if, if there's something going on in life, you got a big decision to make, that's just solid advice. Like, don't make it right away. Kind of step away for a little bit. So Rehoboam says, hey, i got to think about this. Three days, go away, and then come back. Uh, and, and we will make this decision. He does another really smart thing next. He goes and consults the elders who served his father Solomon during his lifetime. And he asks them, how would you advise me to answer these people? And so he, he goes to someone who is older, who is wiser, who has life experience. Another really good thing to do. The elders who had served with his dad, so they had life experience. They had seen some things. And not only that, they had this practical experience and wisdom of what it takes to run a kingdom. They, they had experience of like, hey, here's how we deal with our domestic issues and we tax people and here's how we have the army ready and here's how we do like, we deal with the other nations around us and we set foreign policy and we do all these things. Like, they had wisdom and experience. And Rehoboam was brand new at this. So he goes and he asks them, hey, what, what would you do? Here's the request from the people. How would you respond? Uh, and these wise advisors reply, if today you, you will be a servant to these people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, then they will always be your servants. And so they basically say, listen, like, Rehoboam, you want to be king, right? Yeah. You want to have a, a great leadership, a great reign, like you want it to go well, right? Yeah. You want to have a united kingdom, right? Yeah. Well, here's how you do it. Serve them. Like, put, put your people first. Put the needs of your people first. Listen to what they're saying. Serve them. And then... They'll be loyal to you. They'll serve you. They'll follow you. But Rehoboam rejected the advice that the elders gave him. Here's what you do. Here, here, we're speaking from our wisdom and our experience and years and years and years of doing this. Here's what you should do. And Rehoboam goes, nah, I don't think so. What do you guys know? Here's the bunch of old men that ruled with my dad. That didn't go well. Why should I listen to you? See, the, the advice that they gave him was what he needed to hear. It wasn't what he wanted to hear. And so as we're going to see in just a minute, he goes looking for people who would tell him what he wanted to hear, not what he needed to hear. And that is just a recipe for disaster. 
you surround yourself with people who are just going to tell you what you want to hear all the time instead of the things that you need to hear, which sometimes is, sometimes is unpleasant, man, you're on the fast track to just blowing things up in your life. You surround yourself with people who only tell you want to he- what you want to hear, and eventually you'll lose influence, you'll lose opportunities, you'll lose resources, you'll lose the respect of the people around you. It just doesn't go well. It's how, it, it, it's this, this kind of twisted, ironic thing where it's, I'm going after the thing that I think I want, so I'm going to surround myself with people who will tell me the thing that I want to hear, but by listening to the people who only tell me what I want to hear, I end up being exactly where I don't want to be. And that's what's going to happen with Rehoboam. And before we jump back into his story, I just kind of want to, I guess, ask this question. I want to step on our toes a little bit. And maybe for some of you, this is a, like, this is right now kind of thing, but whose advice are you currently ignoring is there something going on in life right now, a decision you got to make, or something that's going on in your life, and someone's been like, hey, I don't know, I think we need to talk about that. I think maybe this is, I don't think you're seeing this angle. I think you're maybe going in a direction that's going to hurt you, and you're just like, no, nah, I don't want to listen to that. Is there someone right now, is there a friend, is there a family member, there's someone, a mentor, a coach, a teacher, someone who's older, someone who's wiser, who's like, maybe you should think about that, and you're just kind of like, I'm not going to listen to that. And if I can tie it into to last week, and tie it into this idea of the genetic fallacy, Let me ask this question, what is the internal narrative or story that that you tell yourself to reinforce your resistance to their advice? What's the story you tell yourself for for why you're going to reject that advice? I mean, I I know these stories because I I can hear them playing in my own mind. When someone tells me something, well, how could they possibly know? They don't know. They're not living my life. They don't know what I deal with every day. They're not married to her. They're not married to him. They don't have my kids. They don't work at my job and have to deal with that person. Like, they're, 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 like they don't, like, they, you don't know. Or, or the story that says, well, you just don't. The story that Rehoboam tells here that says, hey, um, you're just old. You don't get it. Like, like, you don't live in the world that I live in anymore. The world's changed. What do you have to offer me? I'll pick on the young people there. How about I pick on, on uh, the old people a little bit too and say, well, 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 oh, you're just young. You don't have the experience. What do you have to offer me? who say to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us. What should I say? What should I tell them? What should I tell them? And the young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now you tell them this, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Apparently that was like a major flex in the ancient world, okay? You just go up to them, my little finger is thicker than your waist. And you're like, whoa fighting words. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke, 
I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. A scorpion wasn't an actual scorpion. It was a type of whip that had pieces of metal and bone embedded in it. Basically, he's saying like kind of three different examples and saying this, like, you, you think it was bad with my dad? Just wait. You ain't seen nothing yet. You thought you had something to whine and complain about before life's about to get a lot more difficult. And so three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam. As the king had said, come back to me in three days. And the king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. In the moment that, that he rejected the advice, the wisdom from those that were wise, that had something to offer, he sealed the fate of the nation. And it was an unwise decision that led to a catastrophic outcome. Instead, he followed the advice of the young men who said, my father made your yoke heavy, I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips, I'll scourge you with scorpions. And when all of Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king. And the people of Israel, they, they show up with um, a kind of a prepared statement. And, and what they say is actually a quote from a rebel named Sheba who had led a rebellion during the reign of King David. And so this rebellion happened during Rehoboam's grandpa's time, and now they're bringing that right back. Like, hey, we rebelled against David once, we'll rebel against his line again. And they say this, what share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? So Jesse was David's dad. Old Testament, always like tying all these family lines together. To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. Essentially, the entire nation looks to Rehoboam and says, you know what, Rehoboam? Go build your own cities. Go build your own palaces. We're done. We're done. We don't recognize to rule the, your right to rule. Go rule yourself. And so the Israelites went home. But for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced labor, but all of Israel stoned him to death. And so Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And the nation was divided. One, one little portion, the tribe of Judah, they go with Rehoboam. Everybody else ends up going to Jeroboam. And from that point forward, the nation was divided into the, you know, the southern kingdom of Judah, the northern kingdom known as Israel. And it was divided, and because it was divided, it was weakened. Because it was weakened, it was vulnerable. Because it was vulnerable, it was invadable. And eventually, both kingdoms would fall. And the nation of Israel would be carried off into exile. Well, certainly it wasn't just because of the decision of Rehoboam to not listen to wise advice. Like, they were already on that path. That was something that God was going to do because of their disobedience. But it didn't have to happen on Rehoboam's watch. It didn't have to play out this way. But he sealed his fate when he listened to the advice of what he wanted to hear rather than what he needed to hear. And the same, as uncomfortable as it is, the same is so often true for you and me. Like, whenever we hear some advice that says, hey... I think I, 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 you should go this way. And we're like, nope. So often you can just track that a few months or a few years later and you can go, wow, I wish I would have listened. There are wise people around us who want to speak life and want to speak wisdom into us. The question is, will we let them? And so as we kind of wrap things up today, that is the homework assignment because I love assigning homework. It's so great. It's not summer break yet. Homework assignment is to find someone who has nothing to gain and nothing to lose by telling you the truth and simply ask them this question. What would you do if you were in my shoes? What would you do if, if, you, if you were me, if you were in my shoes, what would you do if, 
with all of your you know, life experience and your different perspective and your wisdom and, and what, what, whatever, whatever you bring to the table, your kind of unbiased nature because it's not personal for you, what would you do if you were in my situation, my work, my relationship, what I'm going through, what I'm dealing with, what would you do? What wisdom would you offer me? That's a really scary question to ask because it kind of puts ourselves out there and a lot of times we resist asking that question. I think there's really kind of two reasons why we resist asking that question. The first, the first reason we resist asking that question is because, let's be honest, a lot of times we already know what they're going to say, right? We're already like, I already know what they're going to say, so I'm not going to ask them. That's, that's good and bad news because the good news is if you already know what a wise person is going to tell you, you already know what to do. You don't even need to go ask them. You just need to do it. The bad news is it, the bad news is it also kind of takes away our excuses. <laughs> it's like, oh, man, i got to go do this. And sometimes we don't ask because it's like, well, I already know what the answer is going to be. Other times we don't ask because... We just don't think it's anyone's business. It's my life. It's none of your business. Stay out of my life. Stay out of my business. And while that's true, it actually is nobody else's business. The challenge is to make it somebody else's business, to invite someone else into our life, to be able to speak into our lives, to speak life and wisdom into us whenever we, when, whenever we can't see things. Because here, here's what happens. is Even though it's nobody's business and you think it's a private thing, private decisions eventually have public consequences. Like, I, I've had that experience in my life, and you probably have as well, where it's like, hey, this is my thing. No one needs to know. No one needs to deal with it. And I can keep it that way for a little while, but eventually when it blows up, it becomes public. And maybe it's only a couple people. Maybe it's just my family. Maybe it's just a few people I hurt. Or maybe I do it up big, and it's a whole bunch of people. But our, our private decisions eventually kind of spill out onto the people around us. If we want to be wise, if we want to avoid that pain, we, we invite other people into it before it gets to that tipping point. We invite somebody else into it because somebody can see the things that we can't see. So as we wrap this thing up today, there's a commitment today. Just like there has been every week, I want to challenge you guys to make this commitment to, to say like, hey, I will not automatically write off advice based on the source of the advice. I'm not just going to write off what someone says based on whether or not I think they can relate or whether if I like them or not or, or whether or not it's, one, it's what I want to hear. Like I, I, will, I will really look at it and say, is this true? Is there merit to this? Well, is this helpful? Is this good for me? Will this move me in the right direction? Pay, I'll pay attention to the voices of wisdom around me. And so, wrapping up this series, three things that we want to do if we want to avoid becoming our own worst enemy. Number one, pay attention to the tension, that thing that rises up in us. Number two, be aware, pay attention to the narratives, the stories that we tell ourselves. And the third thing is pay attention to the voices of wisdom around you. If we can learn to do those things, we will avoid a lot of unnecessary pain in our lives. We'll be moving in a direction towards life and flourishing. We'll be moving in a direction of becoming the kind of people that God desires for us to be. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much um, just for the reality that our faith is not just one of thought or theory or philosophy. Uh, God, it's more than that, that it's real, it's practical, it impacts our everyday lives. God, that, that there is wisdom and life and truth to be found in you, um, in your word, in your ways. So, Lord, I pray that we would embrace that. I pray even when it's difficult, when it's scary, when, 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 when we're unsure, that you would just uh, encourage us and equip us, strengthen us through the power of your spirit. Lord, I pray you would surround us with people who love us, who love us enough to tell us the hard things. God, who love us enough to speak life and wisdom into us. Lord, when we hear that, I pray you would give us just the courage um, to, to know what to do with that. 